Jane, thank goodness you're all right. Is everything okay? Honey, I shrunk the audience. We hope you enjoy your visit to Conservation Station, Asante Sana. Stand by for final systems check. The performers will all go in the theater first, and then you, the audience, will be admitted. Well, folks, this concludes our show. So thanks for bearing with us to the bare end and barrel around to see us again. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 699. And together, as we have been for more than 17 years, we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks and movies, Star Wars, Marvel, and more here on the podcast, my weekly live video, events, blog, and more. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, join the community, and find everything else at www.radio.com. So we're going to head back to Frontierland and Walt Disney World this week as we continue our look at the past, present, and future of a land that, like Liberty Square, celebrates more than real American history, but also includes fanciful stories of fictitious characters and locations. And with announced and possible changes on their way, we discuss what Frontierland's immediate and long-term future might look like, and yes, it might just involve some Disney villains. Then stay tuned for our Disney trivia question of the week and more updates at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear, please share the show and tell a friend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. going to pick up where we left off last week as we were talking about the past and more importantly the present and future of what Frontierland and Walt Disney World looks like now and may look like in the future. Enjoy. You know, it's interesting too as we talk about things like Thunder Mesa and Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, it sort of, again, helps to distinguish and differentiate the Walt Disney World version of Frontierland from its California counterpart because again, It's more fast pace. It's more theming and definitely more humor than we see or or we did see, certainly at that time uh, in in Disneyland in California versus the 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 tone that they were looking to go with for Walt Disney World. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that even though they were developed at the exact same time, like you say, that they didn't they didn't take the same tone and they didn't end up with the same story either. Because you have, you know, the town of Tumbleweed in Walt Disney World, and then you have the town of Rainbow Ridge out in Disneyland. And and also just from a design standpoint, they both Big Thunder Mountains were designed with a different inspiration as well, because you can see the peaks of it. Well, I have not had the fortune of being to, to Disneyland yet to experience this myself. But from what I understand, you can see the peaks of Big Thunder Mountain from Fantasyland. So they felt the need to use kind of more fanciful colors than what they did on the Walt Disney World version. So Walt Disney World is based more on, on Monument Valley versus Disneyland based on Bryce Canyon um, and, and the colorings of those. 
I'm still stuck on the fact you haven't been to Disneyland. I think we need to get you out there like for a research trip because how can you really talk about these things I know. without having experienced it? Um, you got to watch all these walkthroughs and spoil <laughs> it for yourself. That's... <laughs> um, but you're right. It, you know, when you you look at the design and the layout and this this sort of allegorical map of of the Midwest and even the the way that it's designed you know in Disneyland you enter Frontierland through these massive wooden gates it's it's like a um sort of a, a frontier stockade just off the hub you know there is no visible way into Frontierland from the hub in Magic Kingdom because of the way that Liberty Square and Frontierland are not are so closely connected, not just geographically, but thematically as well. And I know we, we sort of touched on it as well, because the way this whole part of, of Magic Kingdom, starting from Fantasyland in, in the old world and, and moving across the Atlantic to the new world in Liberty Square, and then moving through Frontierland, moving forward in time, um, following that that sort of both geographic and chronological path from the 1840s to a ghost town in the 1880s and that that sort of boom at that time I think is is really interesting because remember too when you know we were talking about sort of the, the the barren landscape that was Frontierland when it opened in on October 1st there were only three attractions it was the Country Bear Jam- and if you want to call them attractions it was the Country Bear Jamboree the Frontierland Shooting Arcade and may you rest in peace, the Davy Crockett Explorer Canoes. Because again, we don't get anything new until the train station in 72. And then Tom Sawyer Island doesn't come until 1973. So there was not necessarily a lot happening in Frontierland early on from an experiential point of view, from even a, a design and thematic point of view as well. There wasn't a ton to do there, certainly not a ton to do outside, although Gosh, I wish that the Explorer canoes were back. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because you have Disneyland where you had pack mules and covered wagons and and the mine train through nature's wonderland and all of these things kind of intertwined over each other and, and just very kinetic. And when Walt Disney World opens, you know, you had Explorer canoes. And um and then Walt Disney World kind of becomes more kinetic on the rivers really than than Disneyland ever was because you have the river boat, you have the explorer, explorer canoes, you have Mike Fink keel boat, like that kind of become, not that those weren't present at Disneyland, but almost the river becomes more of where it's happening, mm-hmm. the, the place to be. <laughs> All the action takes place on the river. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we don't, like we said, you don't see, you know, the, the expansion, literal and figurative of Frontierland is very slow moving, right? You've got the train station, then you have Tom Sawyer Island, which again is somewhat sort of removed. It opens in 1973. It's not until 17 years later that we get the first new big, like that's a massive gap in time. Imagine in 2022, you tell Disney fans, we're not going to really update this land for the next 17 years. Good luck watching the internet explode on itself. So Big Thunder Mountain debuts in 1980, it's another 11 years before we get any other sort of major change or attraction. There's not a lot of changes that take place in that decade and sp- until Splash Mountain is built on that piece of vacant land between 
Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and the Walt Disney World Railroad Station and that parade access road, which is why they had to relocate the station as well. And then again, that doesn't open, the station doesn't open until early October 1992, right? Because it was so much work that had to be done in terms of demolishing certain parts of the land, except where Big Thunder Mountain sit and then the new train station, um, the parade road had to be built as well. And, and like you said, you talked about this new storyline that's that's helped to to be crafted for uh, Big Thunder Mountain in 2012, just to sort of help pull all these pieces together as well. Yeah, and I just I have to hop back to the Big Thunder Mountain opening because something that I did not know before, I'm sure you probably did, but that there was a special song written for Big Thunder Mountain's opening. And it was supposed to be sung by John Denver when Big Thunder Mountain opened in Disneyland, but it, it the opening was delayed there. And so they, they lost the contract with John Denver to sing it. And so the first time it was played was at Walt Disney World's Big Thunder Mountain opening. It's, it's called hmm. The Ballad of Big Thunder Mountain. And you can find that on YouTube. And I guess uh, supposedly it's still you can still hear like an instrumental. I would say there's, I know there's a bout of yeah in the in the background loop there is a bout mm-hmm. of Big Thunder, but I did not know that there was a that there were lyrics to it. Yes, yeah, yep, there are lyrics to it. We have to find this and link to it in the show note because now I mean now I mean I am <laughs> incredibly um, I'm incredibly intrigued. Yeah, and I mean as you mentioned, you know things kind of not a lot has come and gone in Frontierland since Splash Mountain opened. You know, I mean, definitely not much has come at all. And just a few minor things have gone. Like, you know, we kind of see, as you said, the Explorer canoes go away, which, you know, if we're all being honest, cool. But how many of us (laughs) want to have to, you know, row ourselves in the Florida heat around, around Tom Sawyer Island? Hence why I think they were often seasonal. And, and then we lose the Mike Fink keel boats and just some other smaller things like the Frontierland stunt show and, you know, and some of the, you know, kind of audience participation elements that started to go away in Frontierland. But other than that, there, I mean, really in that amount of time, in, in three decades, there, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, there hasn't been an addition to Frontierland. No, if anything, to your point, Kendall, we've we've sort of lost, you know, we we when I say we lost things, I remember as a kid, and I know I tell the story all the time because it, it for some reason it's sort of burned into my memory. My dad loved, loved, loved the Diamond Horseshoe Review. He absolutely loved it. It was like a 45, 50 minute show that you used to have to make reservations for and get a ticket for on Main Street USA. You had to go and make a reservation there and it would give you for certain show times and we may have talked about the diamond horseshoe in 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 depth before but it was for for years it was sort of like you know pardon the pun sort of the star of the show of frontierland because it was inspired by the diamond horseshoe review in uh, the golden horseshoe review in disneyland but oh no, I'm sorry. You had to go to the Disney. You had to go to the the Disneyana shop. It wasn't the the town hall. You had to go to Disneyana shop on Main Street in order to do it. And the 45 minute show was like a version of almost like the Hoopty Doo. There was the traveling troubadour and Wildcat Kate and Doctor Billia later and all these you know girls doing the can can and other sort of saloon type numbers. 
And it eventually closed in early 2003. They did a Goofy's Country Dancing Jamboree, which was a far cry from the original, to say the least. They took all the tables and chairs out, right, which used to be on the lower level, and Goofy and other characters would sort of perform a few musical numbers. That closed like a year later, and then they did a character meet-and-greet for Toy Story 2 characters, so Woody and Jesse come in, which is sort of like the first time we really start to see that influx of external IP for the most part. And now Diamond Horseshoe is, is, and I mean this from a, a, a sentimental, affectionate point of view, it's sort of a shell of its former self because it's a seasonal quick service dining location, I think only during lunchtime, I think maybe during some of the busier times of year, they do put tables back in. Um, I know they had done for a short period of time, they did some casual dining, but it is it is not, it is certainly not, it's certainly not my dad's Diamond Horseshoe review. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. I say that like we haven't we haven't really lost any you know major attractions there, but yeah, Diamond the show for Diamond Horseshoe was definitely a loss. And then another one that comes to mind is uh, the Mile Long Bar, and and what that once was. You know, when you would not now you just exit the Country Bears into that little you know offside section of Pecos Bills, but. And I think we've mentioned on other shows before was once a you know a, a snack eatery drinks, and had those mirrors that made it look as if the bar went on forever and ever, and and I think there are you know some other small carts and things that have changed over the years you know like the the McDonald's fry cart has changed names a few times and some other things like that but it is interesting to see that it's it may be the least changed land in that mm-hmm. amount of time. Yeah, and, if, and and I remember one of the things that was always interesting about the mile-long bar, it was called a mile-long because there was mirrors on each side of the bar. So if you look down, there was that sort of uh, reflective effect which made it look like the bar was a mile-long. But what I loved was that the heads of um, uh, Buff, Melvin, and Max from the Country Bears hung above the bar as well and also were animatronic. They, they would move and talk and sing as you came out of the show and had your, your Frito and Pepsi, because at one point Frito and Pepsi, were Pepsi and Coke were sponsors of Magic Kingdom, like that could ever happen again. So it was almost like this, this mini attraction in and of itself um, right next. And now obviously the only dining option is, is Pecos Bills. And I know we've talked, we've talked about Pecos Bills and the history of, of Pecos Bill. And the story that was told by Roy Rogers in Melody Time in 1948, and still to this day, Pecos Bills has some not only great food, get the walking taco, but there's also great details in there about and from uh, Davy Crockett. Um, you'll find details about um, uh, Bigfoot Mason and and Georgie Russell, and and there's a black mask and silver bullet. A lot of cool details in there as well. But going back to what you said. We haven't received many additions. It's mostly been small or or large, depending on how you you interpret it. Things that have been removed from Frontierland, that that is until, well, we don't know when it's going to close, but that is until 2024 when Tiana's Bayou Adventure, and now I wait to listen to sounds of either applause or groans because it is a somewhat divisive change that, that is coming to Walt Disney World when Tiana's 
bioadventure um, takes over the the theming and the decor and the story of Splash Mountain. Yeah, and from what I understand, the model that was there at D23 Expo was quite large, and they, they gave some kind of some additional information about the story, too, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that it has to do with Tiana having opened this or is has opened this food co-op and they grow the food inside of the, the mine that's there. And, and that this all would have happened right after the success of Tiana's place there in the late 1920s. And just, you know, diving headlong into the future portion of this episode, I, that fits in just fine with the timeline of Pecos Bills, now the geography creates a bit of a predicament as you've moved all the way west. And then it, it fits in fine with Pecos Bill, but then once you get to Big Thunder Mountain, now you've you've jumped back in time again. And well, be- before I jump further ahead, I don't know, do you, do you have anything you want to add with that? Yeah, I mean, look, you're going to have to suspend a little disbelief or maybe they will... Look, I trust an Imagineers to maybe come up with a creative way to explain it. And, and look, you know, the other thing, Kendall, is too, most people, and I and I don't mean this in a, in a negative way, don't know or don't care, right? They don't care, well, wait a minute, this is following the progression of the American West from, they don't care. They're going to be like, oh my God, there's a new Tiana-themed attraction. I love it. My kids love it. We love the music. We love the characters. We love the storyline. We love the beignets. I don't think it's going to necessarily affect people as much. I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or otherwise, because I love clearly the details and the cohesive storyline and how it one part of the the Magic Kingdom flows so organically and naturally into another. Um, you'll have to just pretend like, well, you're making a hard left and going and going south as you're on your way west when you passed um, Tiana's Bayou Adventure. I spent some time thinking about this in the what's it been now two years since they announced that, that it was going to get a princess and the frog makeover. We didn't know the exact theming of it, but since we learned that it was going to be 1927 and, and I was thinking about the different timelines and what Walt Disney world's frontier land looks like and okay, you know, what could you do there? And, and then especially after the expo and some of those blue sky ideas were mentioned, which I'm sure we'll, get into a little bit more here too but i thought to, then i really thought to myself i'm like wow that that could be a real mishmash and what could they be planning to do there and what i thought was like you mentioned so many people walk in and, and don't don't care you know um but and as this week they proved out with the announcement about the Adventureland treehouse out in Disneyland. I think there is a way, and I, I trust the Imagineers as well. I think there are ways to satisfy nostalgics and people who want that story and also satisfy the fact that a lot of people don't care. You know, with regards to the treehouse, there's a lot of people who don't have an, any idea who the Swiss Family Robinsons are anymore. Right. But that treehouse, they're returning it so that nostalgics can feel at home and enjoy it. And for the people who don't know, don't care, they don't look at a map and say, well, I don't know what the Swiss family treehouse is. Move on. I think potentially a great way to solve this problem, and it 
this might sound like heresy, but what if the frontier land that we know now wasn't really the Western frontier? What if you transition those facades instead of moving west, you move south, you move south through time, you move from from, you know, New England, Missouri, and you move south to Louisiana because the country bears already have a very, you know, Appalachia type feel to their, you know, folk music type feel. I mean, even so much so that when you read about the country bears in the in the Mark Davis in his own words book, which plug again for that book, anyone who doesn't have it. He mentions in there that when that attraction opened at Walt Disney World, it was so popular, huge lines, that when they decided to add it to California, they put in two theaters expecting the same type of reception. And he said, we never got it. He's like, and we always kind of assumed that the that, that type of country music just didn't really, wasn't really as appealing to people out in California. And, and, and the theater itself was based off the Grand Old Opry in Tennessee. So I think you very easily could, could transition those facades and the focus of those buildings to being a journey no longer west, but a journey south. And, and you could take Pecos Bills and turn that into a Tiana Bayou restaurant that would just real easily make the swing right around to the Caribbean. I think that's really smart and I think that makes sense. And I think that you're, you're able to sort of easily sell people on, on the idea. And, and to that point, as I, as I think out loud, I think what this area will start to represent is not necessarily that continuing chronological and geographical journey from East to West. I think it will, it, that story still holds true as you transition from Fantasyland to Liberty Square, and then maybe as you cross that representative mighty Mississippi River um, by the the Diamond Horseshoe, but maybe what this land represents, I'm really like grasping here, but I think this might work. What it really represents, because it's what Princess and the Frog represents, it what it's what Tiana represents, and I think. I think it was Sharita Carter was the imaginator who talked about how, you know, the story of Tiana is an inspiring one, not just about an individual, but like at the end, how the community comes together, how people come together to work in harmony, to achieve something extraordinary. It is, that's the story of America, right? We come together to go from East to West. The, we blur the lines. It does and and we work together in community. Maybe that's how you're able. I'm real. I know. I'm sort of grasping, but I'm trying to sort of make it all fit. But I think it does. Like I think from a story perspective, the story of Tiana is a microcosm of the story of America. Well, and and I think you make a great point too. Is it, it kind of like what we talked about on the Tomorrowland, past, present, future? You have to ask what. What is the purpose of this land? What story is it telling? And I think this is what Imagineers are constantly doing. What story are we telling? And is that story still relevant? And is it relevant to all of our audiences? And if it is, is, is this a fanciful story? Is it a historical story? And if it's historical, we need to be respectful. We need it to be historically accurate. And if it's fanciful, then 
is it still a story about the frontier? You know, as we said earlier, Westerns haven't been popular for over half a century. And I still love frontier land. It's almost like it's something that's become more a part of Walt Disney World than even the rest of the entertainment industry. It's like they're kind of inextricably linked somehow. And so I guess that's what Imagineering probably has to ask themselves is, is do we still have new guests coming here looking for Frontierland? Or are they looking for a story of exploration or a story of something new or a story of overcoming hardship? You know, like that's what right. the, the move West is. And if that's what it is, then Tiana is that story. I, I think, and there's other stories that can be incorporated too. I think you're right. I think Magic Kingdom as a whole is that subconscious offer of reassurance. That's what it, that's what Magic Kingdom, I think, really is, right? It's about American stories and, and American values. And in whether it's Main Street USA or taming the frontier in Frontierland or even moving forward in, in time and, and whatever the future holds in Tomorrowland, it's overcoming challenges and tough times and coming out on the other side better, stronger, victorious, however you want to sort of define it. It's what Main Street is, right? It's just struggling through tough times to get this sort of town off the ground. It's what Frontierland represents in real American history and, and mythological American history. And I think Tomorrowland does it well. So this this offer of reassurance, this um, creating an environment of reassurance is really sort of what Magic Kingdom does, specifically in these areas, Liberty Square as well, is what these spaces do. So it does actually fit organically in a, from from that sort of construct. Yeah, and I think whether it becomes about the stories that are told or if you still want to keep that same, you know, literal concept of moving through time and moving across places, I think, you know, that can be done because just like I mentioned earlier with the Jason Chandler story and the SEA, you can very easily lay something like that over the top of Big Thunder Mountain and now you have potentially a Disney Plus series tie-in and now maybe it becomes about, you know, some period of time slightly post-Tiana you know, because the the advent of the railroad was still continuing, and and really, it's about a cursed mountain and the effects of what they did. Like that, that could be at any point in time mm -hmm. after the gold rush. You know, and you move if you move forward to some of those other ideas that they pitched as blue sky possibilities at the expo, be that Encanto or Coco. Like you know, it's estimated that Encanto takes place probably around the 1950s. Coco takes place at current present day you're still moving ahead in that timeline and it also fits with this whole idea of you know overcoming and personal growth and and community in all of those stories too so i think right so now let's sort of speculate a little bit because as you're talking about this i'm starting to wonder kendall what impact does tiana's bayou adventure have on frontierland as a whole going forward because maybe Frontierland is no longer about westward ho the wagons maybe that's not sort of the overarching story that's being told maybe things like the Frontierland shooting arcade which I, I used to love as a kid I, I 
you know, my kids loved when they were kids. But as I walk by now, I hardly see anybody at. Does this change in theme from Splash to Tiana, love it or otherwise, I'm actually excited. I cannot wait to see the characters and the music and it's going to be spectacular at night. But does this start to bleed over into a, not a retelling of the story of the Frontierland, but sort of the way the story of Frontierland is being told, right? From the lens that we're starting to look at it, it is no longer a literal interpretive way to look at American history, but instead um, a, a new way to sort of look at the things that we talked about, right? America's triumph of things. And I will say, and I'm, I'm going to plant my flag here, and I'm this may prove to be very wrong. What we saw at Expo, this idea for this blue sky concept of what would occupy that little, it's almost like a little island behind Big Thunder Mountain. They talked about Encanto. They talked about Moana. They talked about villains. I believe, and maybe it's sort, somewhat wishful thinking, especially having talked to so many of their friends who are Disney fans. I'm not sure that we'll see Encanto and or Moana there. I can see that thing becoming a villain's island, a villain's mountain, whatever it is. And there's some sort of transition that takes place as you go from Frontierland proper across the rivers of America to, and if you look at a Google map, you'll see that there's a, a, lar- a very, very large plot of land there that could become, look, they're never going to build a villain's fifth gate, but man, oh man, if there was a villain's island, a villain's mountain, remember Fire Mountain that they were going to build in, in Fantasyland years ago, you want to talk about a huge e-ticket, you know, forget about an e-ticket attraction, but Mark Davis, your sort of mini land may actually come to to fruition, not in terms of, of Thunder Mesa, but in this villains-themed land as this going through a portal to some other dimension, some other place, whatever whatever the story is that gets crafted into this place and space that is not following the, the now possibly defunct geographical and chronological move from east to west, but a move from, you know, old-time America to some other sort of land of villains or villains dimension. Yeah. I mean, I think undoubtedly that's been, you know, if there's a, if there's an OG magic kingdom rumor, <laughs> it is the, you know, the villains mountain. I, I mean, I wasn't there at expo, but I, I can imagine there were people who were just like ready to lose their marbles over yeah. that. And and that you, you bring up an interesting point about, you know, be there, you know, a portal or something like that. And that's something interesting to think about as well is, is if there is a continuation beyond Big Thunder Mountain and let's say Frontierland stays named Frontierland, where does Frontierland end? You know, does it end before Tiana's Bayou Adventure and now everything past that is something else? And does that mean a retheme for Big Thunder Mountain or something like that? Or or does Frontierland end after Big Thunder Mountain and now Tiana's is some kind of transition <laughs> between Adventureland and Frontierland? Possibly. Time will you know, tell. Or, <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I personally think it would be really cool if they did use the Coco idea and you had, you know, like Santa Cecilia on the Frontierland side and you had like the graveyard leading mm-hmm. into something villains kind of on the other side of of, you know, whatever transition point they create. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting to look. It's the things that I don't know that excite me the most because, you know, they have look, Disney has their plans laid out not just a year in advance or two years in advance, but five, seven, ten years in advance. So they know the direction that they are probably going to go while still listening to guest input, which is what I would love to hear. I would love to hear from you what your thoughts are on Frontierland what it was, what it is now, and what you think it might or what you hope it might look like in the future. There's a couple of different ways you could let us know. I'm going to put this question in the show notes at www.radio.com. That'll link you over to our WW Radio Clubhouse on Facebook where you can chat about this there, um, share some of your ideas at www.radio.com slash clubhouse, or better yet, call the voicemail at 407 9391 It's 407-900-WDW1. You could say, I love this idea. Mangello, you're crazy. How can whatever it might be, this is what you'd like to see in Frontierland, and I will play your voicemail on the air. Uh Kendall Foreman, did we miss anything? Is there anything that we that, and now you're gonna say yes, Mangello? How did you forget about X? That, I don't know. I guess we need to thank Frontierland for giving us Doritos. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Considering my body is built 72% on Doritos, yes, thank you to uh to the cast members out in Disneyland that created yep. Doritos. Frontiers Frontierland's longest lasting legacy, cheesy Doritos. <laughs> There's a God, quickly tell the story because people are going, what do you mean Doritos were created in Disneyland? From from what I the story I've heard, hopefully this is the accurate one, but that they would have leftover tortillas in one of the restaurants there at the end of the day in Disneyland's Frontier, Frontierland. And so the, the cast members at the end of the day, they decided to go ahead and deep fry them and throw some different seasonings on them. And voila, the birth of Doritos. I love it. I love it. It's true. And and it's mostly it's a, it's a true story over at uh, Rancho de Zocalo, which, by the way, has amazing food. You, ha- my, Kendall, we need to go out there on a research trip. Clearly, that's the my one takeaway is we need to get you out to Disneyland for a research and culinary adventure. Uh, thank you again for suggesting this and for sharing such great insight and knowledge. And, and I love some of the, the little stories and, and tidbits that you share as well, uh, not just here on the show, but you've also written a a gaggle of articles uh, for the WDW Radio blog. What is what's your most recent one? Was it on the Japan, the Tory yes, Gate? Yes, it was on. Yes, the Tory Gate in Japan at Epcot, and the actual real life inspiration for that. You can uh, you can find that on the blog at wdwradio.com. And where can people connect with you on the socials? Uh, well, right now I, I still have a Twitter handle. <laughs> Hopefully we all will still have those in a few weeks. Um, it's, it's, uh, at KL underscore Foreman, F-O-R-E-M-A-N, or you can just find me hanging out in the clubhouse on Facebook. Awesome. This has been great. Uh, I really appreciate it. Now I want Doritos and, uh, I am excited to see what the future holds for Frontierland. Yeah, Definitely. Favorite Frontierland oh. attraction, detail, show, moment, memory. Go. Oh, um, oh I, I we were stuck on Splash Mountain on the very first e-ride ticket night. Wow. The very first e- e-ride ticket night in history back when you'd pay your $10 to get a, a little paper band. And um, 
obviously they had not worked the kinks out yet. So the park had been uh, closed technically for about an hour. We got on the ride and obviously they let the rides go for a while after closing because sometimes people get in line right at closing. Well, it hits about an hour after close and Splash Mountain shut down. And so according to the cast member who evacuated us from Splash Mountain, it was because the computer system, it hadn't been changed in order to allow the rides to continue to run for that late since it was the first time they had done it. So, yeah, we, we sat there on Splash Mountain right in that scene where Br'er, Rab- Br'er Fox is, has got the axe next to him and Br'er Rabbit stuck in the honeypot. And let me tell you, sitting there for an hour watching Br'er Fox, you know, menacingly <laughs> silent with Br'er Rabbit is kind of the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'll put that. I'll put that question in the clubhouse too. Your favorite attraction moments, background. Oh God, we didn't even talk much about the great background music of, of Frontierland too. Um, it'll be interesting to see where the next few years take us. Yeah. What What's your favorite? What's your best Frontierland memory? Oh man. Uh, memory is my dad wanting to go to the going to Main Street USA to get our ticket to go to. I don't know why all these literal decades later that sticks out to me, but my dad always, always loving the, the Diamond Horseshoe Saloon. It's time for our Disney trivia question of the week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details and what you see, hear, or remember, or maybe even taste. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is once again brought to you by you. Because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you help bring every episode of the show to life, every live broadcast, the contests and giveaways. They're all thanks to, by, for, with, and about you. You can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar per month and get exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts, trivia quests, take part in our group video calls, get access to our private Facebook group, their shirts, stickers, monthly care packages, early access and special discounts to events and much more. I am so grateful for your love and the support and friendship and help that you give me in the show and I love being able to give back to you and say thank you each and every month and in the process we all help our dream team project which benefits the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. I want to thank some new and longtime members including Rob Forcelli, Derek Havren, Scott Coleman, Susan Kasbar, Tracy Atomoto Brewer, and Hamad. If you'd like to find out how you can join the WW Radio Nation family, visit www.radio.com slash support. And now before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, in part one of our discussion of the past, present, and future of Frontierland, we talked about how Tiana's Bayou Adventure is coming in 2024, but this isn't going to be the first time that we're going to see Princess Tiana and some of her friends in Magic Kingdom. And I don't just mean during special events and meet and greets, because for a short period of time, unfortunately too short, a Tiana show in Magic Kingdom, and one that actually sort of made its way through and around Frontierland, once took place... The question last week was to tell me what was the name of this very special celebration. If you entered or just took a guess at home, did you get this one right? 
Do you remember Tiana's showboat jubilee that took place in Magic Kingdom from late October 2009 to unfortunately early January 2010? This was a wonderful, live, high-energy musical production that took place on board the Liberty Bell Riverboat. It was about 15 minutes long. It had musicians and singers and characters from The Princess and the Frog, including Tiana, Naveen, and Lewis. This was a fun, festive, colorful, jazz-filled Mardi Gras theme and almost mini-parade that started in Frontierland and made its way through Liberty Square onto the riverboat dock and then the party moved aboard the Liberty Bell paddle wheeler down the river with singing and dancing with a six-piece jazz band. There was maybe 25 or so dancers and more importantly, about 30 or so park guests were invited to go on board and be part of the show. It took place three times daily. There were daytime fireworks and puppetry It was amazing. Look it up. You can find videos on YouTube. I only wish something like this would come back, not just because I love the movie, I love the characters, and I absolutely adore the music from Princess and the Frog, but it brought this wonderful kinetic energy to this part of the park that we've never really seen before and obviously haven't seen since. Anyway, I went on way too long about my love for Tiana and her showboat jubilee. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week, You were playing not just for a WWE mug and a pin, but a holiday-themed Disney mystery prize. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Lori Jackson. So, Lori, congratulations. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So as long as we're in Frontierland, we're going to stay in Frontierland. And all you need to do this week to enter is tell me, what is the name of the fictional Gold Rush era mining town that Big Thunder Mountain Railroad in Walt Disney World is set in? What is the name of the mining town in which Big Thunder Mountain Railroad is, according to story, set in? You have until Sunday, December 4th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, Use the form there. Again, you're going to play for the mug, the pin, and a holiday-themed Disney mystery prize. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again for taking the time to tune in. This and every week, we are approaching 700 episodes and almost 18 years of the podcast Obviously, none of this would happen without you, and I have been and always will be incredibly and forever grateful to you and for you. I invite you to please come join the community in conversation, talk about this week's show or anything that you want in the Disney, Parks, Marvel, Star Wars universe over in the clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. It's fun. It's family-friendly. It's very, very welcoming and a place that I invite you to come and call home. You can also connect with me elsewhere on social. I'm at Lou Mangiello on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. And you can also visit my site over at loumangelo.com to find out how I can help you either turn what you love into what you do with some one-on-one mentoring or joining our mastermind group. We're coming to one of my events, including my weekend workshop in Walt Disney World and my Momentum Retreat, which is coming up this spring. Stay tuned for more details coming soon. 
If you have a question you'd like me to answer on this show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com, or if it'll be heard on the air with a question, a comment, or just a hello from the parks, you can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. Thanks, as always, to Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider. It's who I recommend because it's who I use, and more importantly, who I trust for you, whether you're coming to a Disney park, a Disney cruise line, one of our events, Alani, or anywhere on the planet, you can visit them over at mousefantravel.com for not just the best possible prices and all available discounts, but most importantly, it's their incredible level of attention and personal service and care that they give every single one of their clients. That is the difference. Again, visit them over at mousefantravel.com for a free, no obligation quote. And as always, my friend, and you, you are my friend, and I mean that sincerely, whether we have met yet or not. And all I ask is that if you like the show, to please help spread the word. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor, screenshot it on your phone, share it on social, tag me at Lou Mangello, and invite your friends to listen. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show, whether you're listening on Spotify or over an Apple podcast, I sincerely appreciate it, and it is very, very helpful. I want to thank FIFA, who left a review over an Apple podcast and said it's the best podcast ever. Gets me through my work week. I went all the way back to show one, and I can't wait to listen to all of them again. Wow, that's a lot of Lou. Thank you for all the hard work that you put into each and every show. Thank you so much, my friend, and thank you for listening. And in addition to the podcast, I invite you to come tune in this and every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WW Radio Live. I go live on Facebook from the park, sometimes my home studio. I will be out in the parks this week sharing maybe some of the holiday decorations, maybe with a special guest. And also visit www.radio.com for our amazing team of blog writers. And check out our events page for upcoming events. We have our meet of the month coming up this Sunday, December 4th in Epcot. It's fun. It's free. I'd love to invite you to come and join us again. Visit the events page at www.radio.com. I hope to see you there because I am a firm believer in the power of a handshake and a hug. And always remember to choose the good because every day might not be good, but there's always something good in every day. All I got to do is look for it. I love you. I appreciate you. And I hope that this is your best week ever. So until next time, see ya. Hello, Lou Mangiello. It's Patrice Liberty calling from Boston, Mass. It's about quarter after four on Wednesday, the 22nd. And I mention that because I heard your podcast number 698 and your idea to smile at a stranger. So I decided to take you up on it. Sounded like a good idea. And I did it today. I was walking up the hill here. There's a young man coming home probably from school going down the hill. I never saw him before. I don't think he ever saw me before. But I smiled at him and he smiled at me. And it was just the nicest human moment of just two people smiling at each other who'll probably never see each other again but it was it was great it was just what you said it was just a nice moment so thank you for suggesting it and happy thanksgiving to you and yours too bye hey lou this is joe kane from orange park florida just got done listening to episode 640 uh the top 10 disney rides that should be made into movies and this has got to be one of my favorite uh episodes ever just because of the Kingdom Keepers plug. I'm a huge fan of the whole series um, and I'm a huge fan of it because I'm a huge reader and I like imagery in my head and me being growing up in Disney I can imagine everywhere the characters are so um, especially love your part in it for the cruise line books love that. I was giddy as soon as I uh, heard your voice on the audiobook or something that sounds similar to you so anyway, 
I think it would be awesome to make a movie based off of Test Track. And here's why, because the storyline could be something like uh, one of the employees of the car factory got uh, turned into a dummy by someone or some kind of curse, kind of like a Freaky Friday thing. And he has to break it, but he keeps running into all these shenanigans and and uh, and uh, scenarios where he's going through the car testing, you know, the, the road course inside, the barrier test, uh, the environmental hot and cold and then the corrosive environment. I think that'd be hilarious. It'd be kind of like a uh, like a suspense slash comedy thing. So, um, anyways, love what you do. I love the show. I'm a huge fan. I listen to it on my way to work. And I uh, hope you and your family had a great Thanksgiving. Um, and we look forward to hearing from you again. And hopefully meeting up with you one day in the parks now that I'm back in Florida. All right. Have a good one.